0: Hello and welcome to The Campaign Podcast. I am Gurjit Deegan, Campaign's Creativity and Culture Editor. Coming up today, we'll be discussing South Asian Heritage Month with Media for All's Naren Patel, Sky's Debarshi Pandit and the social elements Shanaz Ahmed. But first, I'd like to welcome Imogen Watson, our work and inspiration editor, to discuss a couple of the articles, uh, the latest articles we've uh, published this week. Hello, Imogen. Hi. So you wrote a piece on menopause. Mm -hmm. It's a topic that you've covered a lot for us at Campaign. Mm -hmm. So what new details did you find out when... Writing this?
1: Yeah, so it's part of a three part series we're doing that's looking at wellbeing and health um, agency policies. And it came off the back of uh, our school reports data. It's the first year that we've actually asked our so people who have submitted um, our agencies um, whether they have menopause policies in place. Um, and, and surprisingly, um, 86% of the 100 top agencies. Um, had one, which, you know, took me by That's surprise. pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I started digging and I was like, my first reaction was like, great, tick box, done. And uh, talking to Melissa Robertson, she's chief exec at Dark Horses and she wrote an open source menopause policy. She's been a real advocate for it. She was like, sort of turned it around and, and was like, I'm not convinced they're going far enough. And there's an element of the question is, are people just rushing to say tick box, I've got a menopause policy and not really getting into the detail of of, of what's needed? Because, I mean, it's, it's amazing that for as long as humans have been, there's been menopause and it affects 51% of, of um, the population, yet we're still learning about it and we're only just learning to talk about it and it's taking people by surprise and the issue is that people sort of misdiagnose the symptoms as just an inability to do their job which means there's such a huge amount of women who are leaving these really, really senior roles because they just can't cope. They just think, well, life's too short. I can't do this anymore.
0: So Nishma Rob Patel, she mm. you interviewed her as well and yeah, she yeah, had yeah. some interesting thoughts around that. I'm yeah, sure.
1: so she's obviously just become Wackel president and a huge part of her remit for when she, she comes well, she's come into the role is she's she's really hell bent on making sure that menopause policies are across all businesses. Um she's going through it herself. She talked very candidly about getting to that point. And she said she was so lucky to have someone to say to her, do not make any rash decisions now, because, you know, that's what needs to happen. I think the case is you can have menopause policy in place. Great as long as you know do people know how to find them to you know where they go are you having education around it are you having these programs to make sure that because it's not just for people experiencing menopause it's more for people who do either don't experience it like men or younger people who don't quite understand mm. what it means to be able to support people when they're going through it and to stop them leaving these jobs mm. so whether it be you know you're having one of those moments and you're, you're having a hot flash or you know memory loss and just you know making light of it I think that's another thing like you can you can you can't you can make light of these situations you sort of have a little joke and be like oh menopause or something like that you ease it in you have a moment and you and you make things better and it just there's just a lot of progress to be done on on opening up the space and talking about it further um so I'm quite sort of up for digging into this issue even further than we've got before
0: well I'm sure there's a more uh scope to write yeah. some more about it and the, another one we uh covered um this week is about period policies mm-hmm. um which is along a similar vein um and that was written by our tech and gaming editor coral Cripps. what can you tell about what was learned from that piece yeah general?
1: i think with period policies they're they're just that little bit behind menopause um as such and i think agencies are sort of waking up to the the need to to be able to help people experiencing endometriosis and polycystic ovaries um so there's Various ways that they're doing that. Um, I think one really easy way for for agencies, if they want to help people experiencing period pains, is is, is menstrual products um, in in oh, toilets yes. and whatnot. Yeah. Some I think agencies do do that. Yeah. Don't they? yeah, and I think it's a really really quick, easy way to make people feel valued and feel like they're being thought about because you know they're still. And that's not those machines. No, let's exactly. Yeah. Like, I feel like the thing of like, because obviously there's a whole thing about period luxury tax that we won't get into because that's another topic. But <laughs> the, th- the feeling that you have to pay for period products just feels a bit, know, you know. know. So obviously there's another part which is similar to menopause um, policies, which is about education, making sure that people at work can recognize symptoms, to feel open enough that you can sort of share your experience. And and I think this is another thing that there's, there's analog folk, they brought in um, having one paid leave a sick day a month for period. And I I think a lot of agencies would be hesitant to do that I think one of the issues and it's the same with menopause is everyone experiences it differently and I think that there's always that thing or people take advantage of it yeah it's Um, a trust thing it's a trust thing because some people don't need
0: a day off exactly other people will Uh, some people might just need a few hours exactly if you want to go have a
1: hot bath because you're in the middle Mm. of really painful cramps and you really cannot focus on the task at hand then you can Mm. walk away and come back again you don't need to take a full sick day I've had it where I've been like oh I want to take the afternoon off and then I end up working in the end because I kind of come through the worst of it and then you feel fine yeah you just needed um, the few hours You just need to the yourself. few hours. Yeah. Or it could be that you have not slept. You've had period somnia. You're an absolute mess. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You're crying yeah. your eyes out. <laughs> um, and um, then you need a day and it's good to be able to just vocalize that. I think the thing is, the reality of it is, it's so for some people it is so painful and it is so frequent that we really need to be doing something about it because it is a case of the fact that it's not enough to just say we'll just continue how we've been doing for years and not acknowledging the fact that it's just it's a really
0: exactly a bit of my life like. yeah and, and it's a thing that agencies are recognizing perhaps mm-hmm.
1: not enough agencies yeah and i um, think and and i think the further along the of, of we get into this, it's like this holistic view on female health and women health mm. in general is is the fact that, you know, we can look at this from a sort of wider sphere, which is from period through to menopause, fertility, you know, all the sort of things that come into this like womb <laughs> as such. And I think there, I just think agencies need to be talking with staff frequently learning from what people say learning from what they need and what they sort of w- will make their lives better and i think we'll just get reach a better point where you know there was one thing from menopause the menopause piece that um, i wrote that really shocked me which was suicide rates for women age 45 to 54 is the highest and That's it's such double a horrible statistic. 15 yes. to 19 which i would have yes. assumed would be the highest it's yes. double that amount and it's no coincidence yeah. so you know we need to be doing more um to be making sure that people yeah. don't feel this same.
0: It is a wider society thing though. Yeah, 100%. We, we as a society need mm-hmm. to better understand women's yeah. health.
1: And I think even like, so my mom experienced it for 10 years. She didn't want to talk about it. Well, she didn't, she just, lots of people's experiences, they mm-hmm. don't talk about it. And I said to her about, you know, explaining why it's good to talk about it. And she was like, why would I want my work to know about menopause or like what I'm going through? And then talking to her, explaining why, she was like, oh it's a generation thing it's a generational well, it? thing yeah, and i think yeah. that you know generations coming through it will get better and mm, better definitely um, but yeah i think there's just so much work that needs to be done on it
0: great thank you imogen on to our main interview today about south asian heritage month i'd like to welcome Naren patel chief executive and founder of media for all shanas ahmed director of creative and innovation at the social element debashi pandit Senior Vice President for International Business and Head of Multicultural Business at Sky. Welcome to you all. Hi. Thank you. So for those of our listeners who are not aware of South Asian Heritage Month, it runs from 18th of July until the 17th of August. Um, it was set up in 2020 to celebrate the contributions that the South Asian communities uh, have made to the UK. Um, The theme for this year is stories to tell. So I'd like to explore the experiences of people from a South Asian background in our industry and advertising and marketing. Um, Shanaz, I'll come to you first. Um, How have you found working as a creative in this industry?
2: Um, Varying. Definitely. Um, It's been a ride for sure. I've been in the industry for 16 years now. So a long while. Um, Often found myself being one of few or the only Mm. um, Asian woman or even often just Asian person uh, in a room when it comes to creative spaces. Um, And it has actually sadly just continued to be that way throughout from being all the way from a junior designer up to, you know, where I am now. And it's something I think I am actually kind of used to mm-hmm. um, from my education, you know, where I grew up, I often was the only or one of few um ethnic minority people in a room. So it's something that I I think I have managed to navigate throughout my life, even from being a child in primary school to secondary school, all the way up to now. And, you know, because of that, you kind of find ways to deal with that obviously when you do walk into spaces or you're in spaces with other people from um your background or even just being a minority in general then all of a sudden you know it's got a different feeling of belonging and I do think then it does have an a a direct effect on obviously what you can bring to the table but also creativity um bringing your full self to work senses of belonging I think it does really help you to be your your best self and your your most creative self so um yeah, I, I think in answer to that question, it's been, yeah, it's been interesting, but something that I think I have been wondering a lot throughout my career, if the people who do kind of make it, in quote marks, are people who are kind of used to being in that environment from, you know, their whole life. And it's something I can touch on a bit later when I talk about education. It's
0: interesting. interesting. Okay, I see what you mean. Um, Tabashi, would you like to go on your experience?
3: It's pretty much the same, actually. Uh, But I think for me, and probably, uh, I don't know whether I should be saying this or not, but I think this is the history of campaign. This is the first (laughs) time in a room where the Asians have outnumbered uh, (laughs) our our white friends here. Uh,
0: He's talking about our producers.
3: But uh, jokes aside, um, I I think I I totally empathize with you, um, you know, Shahnaz, and I I do understand because I do relate with it, because not only um, am I, speaking of myself, so I moved into the country about 21 years back, right? So not only was I South Asian, but I was also an immigrant at that. And uh, even though I had experiences of working in India, Singapore, Dubai, before I moved here, none of that was was valuable or appreciated by the creative, or the media fraternity and industry here because they always think the sun shines from New York and <laughs> it's in London. And uh, I, I don't know if many people are aware, but there used to be a term that used to be used in the in the nineties and the eighties, and it used to be called filth. Uh, so uh, it used to say, filth actually stood for nothing, but it said failed in London, try Hong Kong so uh yeah 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 so uh, it's uh yeah it it, it used to it used to be quite common so people who couldn't make it in london would be eventually uh, you know go to hong kong because hong kong was a british colony if you remember Mm -hmm, during mm -hmm. 97 uh, when the british government handed it to china so i'm a cultural anthropologist and i've been in the media industry for a while and and you see as to how the dynamics have changed. Uh, so what used to be looked down upon as a market, now those are the hottest markets. Now mm-hmm. you want people who want to go to a Dubai, who want to go to you know, Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, but those markets were not appreciated, at least when I started uh, my career. I had over 400 failed rejection letters. People didn't even want to see me or even have a conversation with me, right? so. I do understand that. And I do come from... uh, And then again, things have changed significantly, yes. Uh, But do we have miles to go? Yes, we do. Um, And I see that at least probably on television, I'm able to see a lot more people of colour, of multicultural backgrounds being reflected on screen. But they're just being reflected without... A cultural understanding, which is a shame, really, you know, and I think we need to go a notch higher to that. And from the media industry perspective, I think, I don't think the guys have got it right in terms of making sure that your media planning is also being reflective of the diverse community. So you've got a kind of a, a gap uh, that exists between the creative and where that creative is being served. Mm-hmm. Is it being served in a culturally relevant manner in the media that people are consuming because I consume dual media. So I lead a dual media lifestyle. So I'm watching the best of mainstream and best of, you know, multicultural ethnic content. But am I being targeted in the right places? Not. So that's where I think the status quo is right now. So yeah. so let's
0: explore that point yeah. uh, later on as well. And Naren, I just wanted to ask about your experience in, in, in our industry.
4: Yeah, so I'm slightly different. Um So I got really lucky actually where I spent my career in out of home um, 30 years Um, but I got in in the early 90s and uh, the CEO took a shine to me and kind of I was MD of the business in five years um, and never actually worked in teams for people you know I was just I came in as a as a business analyst Um, and it's quite strange it wasn't until kind of you know, the IPA census data started coming out in like 2015, 2016, kind of I was looking at the stats and I was going, damn, this, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm the lucky one here. Um, and I think because I was leading a business, uh, we naturally had more diverse talent in, in, in our company than the normal. Um, but actually, I, I, I had a really great experience, didn't really have any issues But I've often looked back and I've just gone, I just got lucky because I got in and I was senior really fast and therefore um, the opportunity wasn't there for others um, who who were probably treating people badly in other organizations or other industries to have that have that on me so um, I'm the lucky one in the room
0: okay so there's a bit of a theme there about how businesses in our industries work with uh, South Asian employees and Shana as you mentioned education how how better can uh, agencies and media owners you know support their
2: um, South Asian employees that's a great question and I think just off the back of the, the lucky piece, I really think that's such a, a key word that comes up for me as well as an experience in, in the industry is I, I do feel like I have gotten past certain hurdles thanks to opportunities given to me or offered um, and being one of the one of the few lucky ones where many others haven't been lucky Um and because of that, when going back to the fact that you'll be in spaces where there aren't going to be many people who look like you, I think for me, it's it's not so much cherry picking and percentages and numbers of who's in the room. I think it's actually just harvesting and fostering a culture of belonging. Um, and I think that comes from leadership. I think it comes from the top. So I've just joined the social element two months ago, about seven or eight weeks ago. The founder... Is from the LGBTQ community, she's the CEO and founder, and I believe that she, from the top, has kind of created a sense of belonging within the entire agency. You know, we're remote first, which means it it kind of drives more people have uh, diverse um, workforce. And though I might not see as many people as that look like me as across the industry as a whole, anyway, I know that knowing that I can bring my full self to work. Um, and it's an, an inclusive environment as a whole, that I am able to feel that sense of belonging. So I think I think the experiences are going to be different, but what I do think that creative industries can do are from very leadership level really ensure that that, that feeling of you can bring your full self to work. You can, you know, this is an inclusive space um you can go off into you know employee groups if you need to and include other people within those groups as well um celebrate moments like this not just this one um community but all i think you just have to see that's the thing like i'm seeing yes south asian heritage month absolutely brilliant but if i see the same company or same environment celebrating other minority groups that just for me me i think okay they're going to get me, even if it's not, every, you know, even if I'm not seeing myself in every single room. Naren, do you agree? Are your, um...
0: Yeah, I
4: think it's really, I think it's been interesting. And I'd say, um, you know, listen, I used to run a business, right? You know, with 250 people in it. Um, and it wasn't really until 2017, 2018, that I felt comfortable celebrating Diwali in the office. <laughs> you know, so if I couldn't do it, you know, I think the environment just wasn't there, you know, within, I think within culture, you know, I think um, uh, as uh, people from South Asian backgrounds, we're generally taught to be humble, you know, don't disrupt the, you know, the status quo, fit in, work hard, head down, you know, if somebody praises you, you know, you're like in shock. So that's, that's <laughs> kind of our background really. And, you know, the sort of, you know, I mean, I was was MD in 1996, you know, the thought of then thinking about, actually it's Diwali, we should get some food in, or it's Eid, we should celebrate uh, you know, uh, the breaking of the fast, you know, I mean, it wouldn't even have entered my mind, so I I think we've got to be careful, I think culturally we've come a long way, right and I think uh, most businesses now um, are being curious about employees you know, and I think problem with South Asian, the word South Asian is, I don't know, it's probably like a few billion of us, right? And we are we are different. You know, we're so different. Um, and therefore, what we have done, uh, and we worked with the AA on this last year, is we kind of created this theme around be curious, you know, asking employers to go and find out, you know, what is the difference between, you know, a Sikh, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Jain, you know, what are the different different things that are important to them and and kind of allow them to be themselves. I think it's happening. I, I'm not saying it's there yet and every business is at a different stage. But if I go back to when I started, it's like it's like night and day really. So I think we're on the right path.
2: I think that's such a good point. Can I just add something to that? I think even just really simple solutions like Counting the number of days off you would need in a year to celebrate those moments, right? I know there's two Eids in a year. I don't actually know how many other celebrations there are within the South Asian community exactly, but someone within HR, someone within a, a position to be able to say, right, so now you you know across the company wide you can have up to four days of cultural days off. And if I can go off on Eid day and the company celebrate, you know, you wake up on morning or the day before Eid and it's like Happy Eid! Those celebrating, you know, you know those people are going to be off work this week or this day or whatever it is that's just that great I don't have to you know I don't have to take my extra PTO to then go and celebrate with my family sometimes I'll miss it because I've got too much on you know so I think just little even additions like that could make a huge difference Mm -hmm.
3: I think companies are kind of making an effort in that because um, so I've been uh, I was the co-chair of uh, Multicultural Sky which is our employee network so I was the co-chair for four years I just stepped down earlier on this year after leading it for four years. So it was, uh, but like you said, you know, it needs to come from the top. So fortunately we had the blessing of our exec sponsor at that point in time, Stephen Van Rooyen. We also had uh, Claudia Ossesafoa. She's our chief people officer and she's also the group uh, uh, diversity and inclusion officer. And she's got a team of David Carrigan and the work. the thing was that we would all work closely together and it was just not one employee group. So we had different employee groups. So we had we have got women at Sky, we've got armed forces, we've got LGBTQ, you know, we've got different, we've got six, uh, all employee groups, uh, all in all, which stand as the voice of representation amongst the 30,000 employees that Sky has. And we used to do that as multicultural, um, as, as a co-chair of multicultural, you know, employee network. It was uh, in my remit to make sure that we are able to just highlight, like Naren said, you know, Buddhist festivals or Islamic festivals, the nuances that exist. We had a Yammer feed on the intranet where it's impossible for anybody to know everything about all cultures, right? So we would get authentic people who somebody who's a jain, somebody who's Muslim, some to to put their own feed on Yama. And we would be amplifying it, you know, within our newsletters that we used to create. So just like you know Noreen's point of be curious, we we tried to amplify that. And also as a as a next step to that, uh, Sky obviously, you know, is a huge business. We've got various Units, so you know, I work within Sky Media, but there's Sky Entertainment, Sky Sports, and so on and so forth. Now, within the CSG group, which is uh, you know the consumer group, I think some of the managing directors have worked closely with HR, where people can take holidays in lieu of certain holidays. You know, so they can take days off. So, if somebody wants to work during Christmas because we are a twenty four seven operation. Mm-hmm. They can work during Christmas, but they can take time off during Diwali or Eid or whatever that matters. You know, so there's that bit of flexibility. It's not being executed across all business areas. But I think uh, there is a freedom for employees within Sky to go up to their line managers and say, hey, is this an option that can happen now? Could that happen seven, eight, ten years back? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Things are changing, things yeah. are improving, but we've still got minds to go. And
2: that's a tricky one. We were talking about sort of the diaspora as well and the generations that come from it. Like be, having to choose between the two will not be an option. There'll be mixed families. And even now, as all of us, we probably all still love that time off between Christmas uh, and New Year. And we'd want to keep that as well as celebrating our own festivities as well. So it's finding that balance to have, yeah. have, to have it all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so it feels like Tavashi, you're saying that um we've come the industry has has taken some strides in kind of um in, in being more multicultural we kind of um but there's still a way to go what is that way to yes, go what well,
3: can- the way to go I'll tell you what i, I, I think it stems from uh, looking at role models. I still don't think that we as an industry are at that stage where people who want to join in are able to see themselves in a particular position of power top management, whatever that you may define it as. Because, you, yes, you may find a lot of people, and this is something that we should be probably exploring. I don't know if the IPA has done that. Probably noreen can enlighten a bit more on that front. But I'm just not happy taking a look at hey, let's look at the overall numbers because the overall numbers can be pretty misleading, right? You can have tons of people at a junior level or in IT or whatever, and you brush them together and put it on. But if the upper suite is not inclusive enough, I think that's a challenge because what happens is that people get frustrated and they leave mid-management or whatever because they have hit that glass ceiling. They don't see any way forward. And it would be interesting for, I think, anybody to commission a study, the number of self-employed or, you know, uh, businesses that people set up. There are only two kinds of people who set up it. And I've got a lot of South Asian friends. And, you know, the reason why they set up their own shop? Because they couldn't get a job in, in a mainstream agency or whatever. And it's a known fact. Uh, and, and, and that's a shame. So what we need to do is we. It's only when you either lose a job, or when you've got to make ends meet, or when you don't get a job, that's when people are thinking of starting a business. Unless you're a rock star and you want to do something <laughs> on your own, right? So there yeah, are extremes, yes, right? Yeah. So you, uh, don't don't misquote me on this, but I'm just 100%. citing from from experience. There are there are certain calibers of people who would set up their own, right? And and I think the majority of uh, of people from our background are set up because. They've got mortgages to pay, you know, school fees to pay more, more, you know, mouths to feed or whatever the, the reason might be because they've hit that, that glass ceiling somewhere. And I haven't seen till date, 21 years in this country, a leadership suite that is properly inclusive in the manner it should be. And this is in very contrast combination to probably across the Atlantic in the U.S. where it's mandatory by law for spends to happen with diversity supplier things. I think we are waking up here, but in the U.S. it is mandatory by law that you should have a diversity even in your supplier base. Mm. you know. And that's why you've got all these chief diversity officers and all those kind of roles in the U.S. because it's mandated by law. Mm. Uh, you've got McDonald's or PepsiCo having huge budgets for targeting multicultural communities. We still don't have that here. They have dedicated agencies to run a McDonald's campaign or a Pepsi campaign or a Unilever campaign or whatever. We don't have that here. So we, we all think that, oh, yeah, there's no rules, regulation. I mean, who wants to pay taxes unless the tax man were to come after you, right? So I think that's the same thing with us over here. Unless it becomes mandated by law, self-policing has taken a stiller a point. But like, this this is exactly yeah. what I mean by when yes. I say miles to go, because I think there needs to be some form of KPIs, a bonus related, you know, compensation as to how diverse is your team. So, and, and it starts at the top. So this, the person at the top needs to make sure that when he, when he or she walks into a room, <clears throat> whether the top level executive suite is being reflective of the overall UK's population.
0: Mm. Naren, what are your uh, thoughts on that?
4: So kind of several, several points. I think first, Devashi makes a very good point around the industry's become more diverse, right? Uh, but where are the jobs? And the AA this year in their census has actually pulled that out. And, you know, what? a lot of jobs are in finance, IT, actually HR, there are quite a few. So, we, you know, with the, the customer-facing jobs, you know, which are the, the key, you know, Key jobs, uh, we definitely still under-index. Um, you know, so so that's that's an issue. I think uh, you know, post the murder of George Floyd, we've got to appreciate the effort that's gone in by the industry to make the industry more diverse, not only for black colleagues but you know, Asian colleagues as well. Uh, and um, I think the key thing now that a lot of businesses are struggling in is they've got. There's talent in, and as Devashi said, they're they're leaving either because they're not getting promoted or they just don't fit in. Um, the key thing we're working on uh, this year again with the AA uh, is uh, we've looked at the extremes, right? so. You know, where are people having the worst experiences? And unfortunately, that is Muslim women, Sikh women, and Black women. Um, you know, their experiences are significantly worse uh, than um, Asian and black men, you know. And it's quite interesting. It's like this triple whammy thing, isn't it? You've got a gender issue. You've got a skin color issue. And you've also got a religious issue, you know. So um, so I think uh, the key thing is education, you know, to try and get businesses not to treat us all the same and actually let's look at the most extreme cases where people are really not feeling a sense of belonging at all because we can deal effectively with them. I think everything kind of else fixes itself. Um, So that's for me the really interesting bit of work that we're going to be doing over the next uh, six months with with the Ad Association really. It's really trying. Running focus groups, really try and get under the skin as to, you know, what's causing it. And, and you know, let's let's not. It, a lot of it's going to be about us, right? You know, um, lack confidence, struggle to fit in, don't want to put your hand up. You know, stay humble. You know, so a lot of these traits are working against us. Um, but then, if businesses aware of these, these are good traits. <laughs> you know um they've got to kind of start recognizing this and uh, and uh, and kind of educating themselves really so that's that for me is kind of the key thing
2: i really agree on focusing on the most marginalized groups of people to help come up with solutions and that comes within the workplace and you know the, the the varying intersections like you just mentioned um but equally also in sort of creative ideation all the way from strategy and briefing through to production. If we start to think of creative ideas and think about the most marginalized or the the least thought about group of people first, we just come up with richer ideas. Like if you think about, you know, I work in in social media, coming up with ideas, um, helping brands to really shine on social. If we think about... um, uh, a person who won't be able to um, hear very well um, or someone who won't be able to see very well um, on their mobile devices. We're creating better content because there's more contrast, there's subtitles on screen, et cetera, et cetera. So I think if we can layer on those intersections and try and find our solutions, whether it's in um, the content that we're putting out in the world or how we're um, you know managing our um agencies and companies i do really believe i found through experience that that is one of the the best ways to find those really um wonderful solutions that actually does then resonate and suit everyone i I think just
4: coming back to uh, the other point debashi made around you know the problem is we don't have a stick right we've got lots of carrots um and i think more and more when i speak to clients and i speak to people in agencies there are more briefs going You know, if you want this business, tell us the makeup of your organization, really. Because I think with us, you know, the only time people are really going to change is if they think the ad dollars are going to be taken away from them, really. Um, And I, I, you know, I'd like to see that get accelerated, really, with more advertisers, you know, really mandating their agencies to go, right, okay, before you put money in with media owners, you know, make sure they're doing the right thing um and i think this will become more and more prevalent as, as time goes by
2: that
0: is an interesting point i wanted to ask as well is how can brands better target and i think devasha you mentioned a bit earlier with the planning of the media yeah. um so how can brands better uh target south asian communities
3: see it's a very simple thing and um, when i was at omnicom i spent six years at omnicom uh, what used to be omg ethnic now is omg unite uh, there was a very powerful brand uh, i'm not going to name the brand but it's a high street brand aimed at women probably that gives you enough uh, <laughs> you know ideas and i met the marketing director the global marketing director of that particular brand and it was a very simple exercise The the challenge is nobody takes it to the top, right? And this is what I'm saying. The the media planning and buying is being done by typical middle England, you know, white people who don't have any understanding. I mean, and I'm going back in time. uh, So uh, I was at Omnicom from 2010 to 2016 and 2016. So this is about 2012, you know, and uh, they didn't know that actually you could do a, a run on Bob with a breakdown of Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi viewers, right? So I literally embedded myself. I sat down with the media planner and I said, you can actually do a cut on this. And when we did a cut, we saw a glaring difference. Um, and it was a very simple exercise. And that's what I request people to do. And it, it was a wake up call even for the global marketing director at that point in time. And my question to her was very simple. I said, your brand aimed at women. Um, your easy solution when I spoke to you know the junior staff in your team was, hey, we are aimed at all women. And that's the laziest excuse <laughs> that you can get from anyone, right? We we are we are for all, you know. We don't segregate, we don't distinguish. We are aimed at all women. I said, yeah, but is your advertising or your media being aimed at all women? No. So we did a very simple exercise. We looked at the spend of that particular. A month or quarter, it was about two or three million pounds. And we did a cut. And when we did the cut, we saw that the media planning, the original media planning that they had so, if the index was 100, aimed at white women, black Caribbean was at 100, a black African was at 101 in terms of index, Indian women was at 60, so they're totally under indexing. Pakistani women were about 45, further less than Indian women. Bangladeshi women were 30. So this is the index on the basis of a plan that has been presented and signed by the client. And I said, what we will do is we'll keep that same spend, same metrics, same everything, I'm not going to ask you for increased additional budget because clearly you will say, sorry, no budget. (laughs) So I'm going to take that excuse off you. I'm going to keep the same budget. What I'm going to do, I'm going to tweak the media plan such that I take less than 1% off from a mainstream Mm -hmm. media. I I obviously can't name brands, but I'll take less than 1%, less than 1% of the spend from a mainstream player and I'll plow it into a multicultural portfolio. At that point in time, it used to be MEMS, which got acquired by Sky Media. Mm -hmm. And I said, we'll take less than 1% of that spend and we'll plow that money into these channels Mm -hmm. that are being aimed at these multicultural audiences. And let's see what the difference is. You wouldn't believe it. Because it was less than 1% of the spend, the white women still remained at 100. Black, Caribbean, and African remained at 100, 101. The Indians shot up from sixty to ninety-five. Oh wow! The Pakistanis shot up from forty-five to about seventy-eight or whatever, and the Bangladeshis again shot up from thirty-five to eighty. Mm-hmm. You know, Fantastic. so it was a huge difference. And what I said was, for heaven's sake, to and this this was my plea. I said, as a marketeer, as somebody who's signing off on media plans, are you doing justice? to your own internal audit base? Because hey, you said all women, this is also all women, right? But do you see the stark difference? Because I think, you know, you need to make a bit of effort. But I find that everything has become so automated and so computerized and so everything. And you know, the the system breaks it down. Yeah, yeah, allocate X amount to this, X amount to that, 100 media spend. And then we've got the share deal concept on television broadcast, which again leads to complications. So there's so there's there's lots of stuff, but I'm saying this is an how many people are going to volunteer to do that exercise for so many brands that exist, for so much spend that you're going to be doing. It's impossible unless you've got a dedicated unit set up that does all these things, right? And this this was my question, saying that you need to take a look. And that's why my plea to advertisers is when you're commissioning your ad dollars for media planning and buying, make sure that is also being reflective of the internal audit of your consumer base. So if your consumer base is diverse, make sure that your media plan is diverse. If your consumer base is not diverse, by all means, just go ahead with whatever that you're doing. But marketers also don't do that because again, the person who's controlling the ad dollars are not diverse enough. You know, there isn't anybody. Uh, so th- this is a challenge and uh, it's, you know what, mm. but, but like Narendra did mention, I think we are in a far better place than we were in 2020, where I I just don't want to have that same dialogue. So I'm, I'm having the same conversation every year on year and you see it move By an inch, Mm -hmm. by an inch. But I think we need to make some strides if we are really serious. And the onus lies on marketers as much as the agency because the agencies will always be reflective of what the client wants. And if the clients like, you know, the stick, so be it. You know, the agencies will automatically work accordingly. Uh, So I think the onus definitely does lie with the clients. The person who's controlling the ad dollars in the first place, because unless you do that,
0: Mm. Shanaz, so you've yeah. been
2: nodding throughout this. What, what, <laughs> what your thoughts? I've just just the stats uh, <laughs> yes. alone. I've just been thinking, wow. But then. Uh- just I, I think i'm just resonating from a cultural perspective yeah. obviously being a woman but also being a bengali woman and thinking yeah. about where those women are shopping otherwise um and also the the kind of tension that that brings but well, this is just off topic in general just we're talking about high street fashion a lot of the time you know when i buy dresses look at the label made in bangladesh and it really yeah. starts to really resonate because oh gosh wow like should i be shopping here or should i <laughs> should i yes. actually just be hand making should i be putting that money into you know that's the 30% where are they shopping? Because they're exactly. still buying stuff. Is, is it taking away from the local economies?
3: It's very interesting it's, you say it's that. It's a
2: tension, isn't it? it?
3: Absolutely. And you know what? There was an article in the Financial Times With that said, our marketeers, and this was a while back, this was over four or five years back, because I subscribed to the Financial Times just to read you know, stuff. Everything's connected with finance, right? So uh, there was this article talked about Eid celebrations, mm-hmm. and they said as to how the high street shops across you know brick lane or whatever they're actually thankful that none yeah. of these big brands are getting don't even have an understanding of it because that's that's when these guys can make money yeah. and they're like these guys are losing a plot but you know what we are happy with it because we are making money
2: when yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when i, I say see- big um, fashion brands uh, re- in recent years invest in modest fashion yes. as a creative territory and possibly media planning as well. I kind of look at it and I think if I had that when I was younger it would have made my e-shopping so much easier. Like it was hard to go out and find dresses that were full length but also covered your arms exactly. and gave you a departure <laughs> to match. Like you couldn't get that. If I could have gone to my high street and got that that would have been so helpful. But then you always have that voice in your head which is like no, don't give in to the big ones. Yeah. Like go, go to Brick Lane, go to Whitechapel <laughs> <laughs> or, like invest in those communities. <laughs> yeah,
0: indeed. That is um, all we have time for today. Thank you so much for such an interesting chat. Uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having us. Thank, thank you. you. So Thanks much, for having because,
2: us. Thank you. Yes.
0: So that is all we have time for today. If you'd like to learn more about what we have been discussing today, please visit our website campaignlive.co.uk. Details of our subscriptions are available at campaignlive.co.uk/forward/slash/membership. If you enjoyed this episode of the campaign podcast, please follow us, like us and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And a big thank you to Haymarket's studio team, Inga Marsden and Till Owen, and also to our producer Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio. And to you for listening. I hope you will join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye.